0: Welcome everyone to the Creator Wave podcast. It's your host, Dylan. Today, I'm joined by the YouTuber Tim Rosica, who runs the channel Tech with Tim with close to 500,000 subscribers and over 34 million video views. Welcome to the show, Tim.
1: Thanks for having me on, Dylan.
0: So I guess to just
1: start off, what got you started with your YouTube career? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a long story, but we have some time, so I'll go into it. So I never really kind of anticipated like being a YouTuber. Like that was never something that I really thought of doing like, I thought YouTube was cool. I was, you know, posting like random Minecraft videos and I was like 13 on YouTube just cause I wanted to. And it was just interesting, but I never like anticipated being one of those guys who was like just a YouTuber. Right. Um, but I actually was working at a summer camp, uh, pretty close to where I live. I'd worked there probably for three years and the camp director knew that at this point I was probably like 15, yeah, probably about 15 or 16, the camp director knew that I was really into programming and coding. I'd done it since a pretty young age. Uh, He said, hey, you know, I want to build out kind of a STEM side of this camp because it used to just be a sports camp. We want to have robotics. We want to have 3D printing. We want to have a coding specialty, and I want you to run the coding specialty and then later on kind of take over that whole section. So I was like, sure, great. So I had to come up with some curriculum for this coding specialty. So I did and pretty much what it was, was just teaching kids aged nine to 15, how to code like their first basic program in Python. And uh, We got up to making like a choose your own adventure game. That was kind of the final project at the end of the week. So I released a bunch of, probably I think it was 20 beginner Python tutorial videos on YouTube with the hope that when kids went home, if they wanted to learn more, they could just click on those videos and, and they could learn. It was strictly like kind of for the camp, like I owned the videos, but it was just like, you know, an external resource so kids could learn at home. Uh, and then those videos just all of a sudden started getting viewed by random people. Like they were just public on YouTube. I, and people were like, Hey, this is great. Like you're doing a good job teaching. Like, can you do more? Can you do this? Can you do that? And at that time, you know, I wasn't very busy. I wasn't doing a ton of stuff. So I was like, sure, I guess I'll just post some more YouTube videos. So randomly, spontaneously, you know, I'd have like some piece of motivation and I would just go make a YouTube video. Maybe I do like 10 this month and then none for three months and then like 25 this month and then zero now. And it was just, you know, low production quality, just posting videos like just for fun. Uh, And eventually when I got to university, I had maybe like 1500 subscribers or something. I had like half a million views on like a bunch of random videos. And I was like, you know, like, I could take this seriously. Like I could actually like maybe try to make kind of a channel or do something more than just have this as like a casual hobby. Uh, And that's what I did. And then now we are here today. You know, I just worked really hard in university, posted a ton of videos, kind of, you know, grinded when no one was watching. And then all of a sudden it just blew up. And now it's just been going crazy since then. So yeah, it's kind of a long story, but that's really how I got started, so...
0: So during your journey as a content creator on YouTube, did you find that there was a certain point at which things started to grow really quickly?
1: I would say that like, I mean, it's really hard because the perspective changes so much. Like back in the day, like getting, you know, 10 subscribers a day was like unbelievable. Like that was like crazy, right? And I was like, damn, like if I could get 20, like that'd be, wow. Like if I got a hundred subscribers a day, that'd be like wild. So as soon as those numbers start going up, Um, It's hard to remember back to when I was like, oh, that's crazy growth. But, you know, probably when I was at like 5,000 subscribers, then it really started kind of snowballing almost. And I was like, oh, wow, like it took me a year and a half to get 5,000 subscribers. I just got 10,000 in like a month and a half and then 10,000 to 20,000 in like a month. then 20,000 to 30,000, right? And then it just like exponential growth, right? Like how YouTube worked. Uh, But it was at the point where I probably had like 200 videos posted or something. And then I really started to see some growth, mostly because a lot of my older videos just started getting more views. They were just sitting there, people found them, they thought they were good pieces of content. I didn't know how to search engine optimize them or anything like that. They just kind of randomly got hit and those older videos brought me in the views. Um, and that's kind of when I started growing. So I can't name like a specific point, but probably around like the five to 10,000 mark was when I was kind of like, okay, I can, I can take this seriously. Like it's going to go somewhere. Do you think, I know speaking to other content
0: creators as well, um, you know, there's a certain point at which it goes from a hobby to a business. Would
1: you say that this happened kind of around the same time? Yeah, definitely. I mean, back then, um, you know, I wasn't making very much money off YouTube at all, probably less than like $1,000 a month or something like that. Um, But that was still great. Like, you know, university student, like just sitting in my, I can make 700 bucks a month or something by posting some YouTube videos. And I didn't really look at like the business side of it a ton at that point. It was just like, I'm just going to post as many videos as I can. And I kind of looked at it more as like my online, like interactive resume. Like you can literally just like find me online and like, I can show you what I've done. And that's how I was going to get a job. was kind of like my game plan. And then yeah, as soon as I kind of started having those first emails with brands reaching out and being like, hey, we'll like pay you to talk about this, or oh, we can do this. I was like, oh, damn, this is like a huge business opportunity. And then just started learning more watching, you know, more experienced YouTubers and how they'd handled it. And yeah, that's when I kind of took it seriously as a business and was like, hey, how can I grow this? How can I generate some revenue? And how can I reinvest back into the channel and make it better? So...
0: I guess to reach your initial 5,000 subscribers, what would you say was the most difficult part of that? Because I know that, you know, getting your initial audience is really, really difficult.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think anything would be like difficult per se, but it is pretty hard to work really hard when no one's watching, right? You have to have a lot of self-motivation and kind of a reason within yourself that you're doing this because when you're at that point, you know that the comments are nice, but you're not really making very much money. No one really kind of believes this channel is going anywhere. You're kind of just a really tiny fish in this huge pond. And all you're doing is just working your ass off like every day, um, with no real reward. Right. And that is kind of, that was definitely the toughest part, but the reason I was able to get through that and why I don't necessarily say that was hard was because I actually enjoyed posting YouTube videos. And even those small comments, like, Hey, this was a great video. Like that's all I needed to post the next one. So I don't want to say that was hard, but that definitely, I think is the hardest part for so many people is that you're working for potentially years with literally zero reward, hoping that one day you're going to hit it and that you're going to get paid for all those hours you put in when no one was watching, right? So,
0: Yeah, even watching content creators that are just starting out, whether it be YouTube or blogging, It's really difficult to keep going because it it almost feels like you're kind of speaking into a void and and nobody cares.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. And it's tough, but that's why you kind of have to have, you know, the motivation within yourself. Like you have to be telling yourself why you're doing it and not have anyone else be the reason why you're posting something on YouTube at that level. Right. So
0: I looked over some of your YouTube statistics and it looks like ever since March, you've kind of been growing at twice the rate. Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, coronavirus, obviously, that's a horrible thing. But you got to take advantage of situations, regardless of how negative they might be. And you know, people are stuck at home, right? So I had a few kind of great videos right at the beginning of coronavirus that got a ton of views, um, and just really brought a ton of people to my channel. I think that once you kind of get past that, like 200k ish mark, you kind of get started get taken a bit more seriously on YouTube. And now I'm kind of like a larger, more known name, uh, it's just exponential growth, right? I'm like featured on a few other channels. People just know me, even just word of mouth is powerful, especially in kind of the education field. Um, and yeah, it just kind of started snowballing. But yeah, COVID definitely kind of bumped my average views by probably about probably like 30% daily, which was huge. Of course, that's bringing me a lot more people. And then I think a lot of my older content, started finally kind of showing up in the search results, finally getting shown um, all that hard work that I'd done again, even just out of lower subscriber count that didn't have that many views people were finding. Uh, And one of the biggest videos I've had that has helped me grow a ton is just these coding live streams I've done. I did one in like October, you've probably seen it on my channel. And it has like 1.5 million views. And like that alone has brought in, I think about 35,000 people to my channel. Uh, So just a few kind of big blocks that I have out there that just People are finding and it's get, getting recommended, and they're coming to the channel. So, so I guess
0: over time, then, would you say that these kind of like live coding sessions have been best for your growth? Uh,
1: I don't know if I'd say they're the best just for the growth, but they're definitely something that attracts new viewers to the channel that might not be kind of searching for straight educational resources. They're searching for more. Um, you know, somewhat educational, but more just kind of like fun videos. Right. And like, I do a lot of kind of just like very serious, like programming tutorials. And then recently I kind of, I don't want to say recently, but probably at like the 50,000 subscriber mark started kind of branching more into maybe some more like general tips and advice videos. Ones that like you could watch at bed, like, you know, like on your lap, you don't have to actually be coding along with the video. Uh, yeah. And that definitely brought a lot of views and a lot of people to the channel that wouldn't necessarily just find my tutorials. So that's kind of what I have the channel at now. It's kind of a mixture of the two, like advice, tips, you know, some fun tech videos where it's just my face and then other ones where it's just straight tutorials. So yeah, coding live streams obviously help, but I wouldn't, um, you know, say that they are the reason for the growth.
0: And when you go to actually create your different videos, what do you do to ideate and kind of brainstorm for the different types of content
1: that you'll create? Because I know for a lot of, you know, early content creators, this is really difficult. For me, I was honestly just doing things that I was comfortable doing, um, when I started at least stuff that I knew I could do really well, uh, and that I wouldn't be making, you know, stupid mistakes with, or that just people would resonate with and that I was like, okay, I'm good at teaching this. I can do this. I wasn't trying to kind of fake that I knew something that I didn't right? which I think is a problem with a lot of people. They think they need to be like an expert level program, at least in, in my field, if they're going to start a programming channel. And I'm like, guys, when I did this, I was like 16. Like I was showing you how to make some like crappy pie game that like was not coded very well at all, but worked. Right. And that was enough. That's what you guys wanted to see. Or I made a beginner Python tutorial series, or I did some basic concepts. Now I can do some more advanced stuff just because my skill level has increased but back then I was just doing stuff that I was comfortable with that was fun and that mostly I was actually learning while I was teaching it it was stuff that I needed to do for school or something that I you know enjoyed like I made a pie game last week so let's do a tutorial on how to make one um, that's kind of how I picked what I was doing just solely based on what I wanted to do and what I knew I could do well and then of course people would leave comments with recommendations and I'd look into that go oh that's cool you know let's try that huh that's interesting and you know how did you settle on kind of Python being your programming language of choice yeah it's a it's a good question I mean I um, have learned so many different programming languages at this point point. Uh, and Python is just for me it's just the fastest to do like almost anything and for the kind of stuff that I'm doing I don't work on like huge projects all the time a lot of it's like you know a few files some scripts some kind of fun stuff uh, like mini projects which Python is just perfect for but I started learning to code back when I was like 12. And I kind of started on that web development stack, which was just completely random. I had no idea Python even existed back then. I was really doing, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP. That was my first two, three years programming. Got into C Sharp. Um, C Sharp was fine. That was my first like real heavy programming language. And then I found Python simply due to the fact that I wanted to write some programming competition at my school and I couldn't write it in C Sharp. And like they didn't have that as an option. And the dude who was running it was like, hey, you know, just learn Python. It's pretty easy. You know, C sharp, you know, JavaScript, like you'll pick it up fast uh, and then you can write the competition. So I learned Python. And as soon as I touched that language, I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's just so much easier, so much faster. Uh, And I just kind of fell in love, did so much stuff with Python and that's kind of where I'm at. So (laughs) yeah.
0: It's kind of interesting because, you know, with programming, especially for me, you know, I come from a technical background I started in PHP. For me, it was, I enjoyed doing it. Um, But over time, it slowly melded into, I'm always doing it. How do you kind of maintain the work-life balance that you have?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I'm really, like for me, I allocate time to the balance, right? Like I'm, I'm working hard, like to be able to do the kind of stuff that I'm doing. Like you have to be working, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, weekend, seven days a week. But it's just how do you make sure that those hours aren't kind of, you know, taking over. Right. And for me, like I always shut down as soon as it hits about seven or 8 PM, you know, if I'm really busy, maybe I'll work a little bit later, but for me, kind of, I reserve the nights just as kind of me time that I do what I want. Uh, and that is really the balance for me is I work in the fact that at this time at night, I'm shutting down, I'm going to relax. I'm going to waste time and do nothing and not work. And and that's how I keep the balance going. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm motivated to get stuff done and just looking ward at, you know, 7, 8 PM that you get to, you get to chill, you get to do what you want. And, um, the nice thing about my kind of work is I actually really enjoy a lot of the stuff that I do. It doesn't necessarily feel like work. Um, and you know, I push myself to do as much as possible, but yeah, to not burn out, you know, I don't want to do, you know, 14 hour days every single day. It's just not sustainable. So that's, that's kind of how I do it, but yeah, you do have to work hard to do as much as I'm doing. Yeah. That's definitely a very positive
0: way of looking at things. But how do you deal with kind of the negative feedback, the negative comments, the toxic people online?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Honestly, I I sometimes enjoy seeing a few good negative comments just if I can come up with some kind of like clever response just to throw in there. I don't know. So honestly I I've, I've just made it kind of a fun game right at this point. Like I look at, you know, at the beginning it was tough because those negative comments there's, you know, those few that come out Um, are more substantial almost because there's not as many positive comments surrounding them. But now I'm at the point where when I look at my videos and I have 99.9% like ratio, I have like seven dislikes and there's like two negative comments and like 500 of them are all positive. I'm like, okay, I got to look at this objectively and be like, did I do a good job? 99.9% of people thought I did. These two guys didn't. So I think I did a good job, you know what I mean? I look at the comment, I say, is it valid? Yeah, maybe it's valid feedback, I can take it and I can work on it and be better, or maybe this guy's just an idiot, right? And that's usually what it is, and a lot of the times I look at those comments and I genuinely feel bad for the people leaving them. I'm like, you really took a time out of your day to leave this like nasty paragraph comment on my helpful educational free tutorial video. Okay. It'd be a little bit different if I was like, you know, just some random like vlogger and just going on and talking about stuff. But almost every single video I have is the sheer intention to help other human beings. So I'm like, if that's really what you think, then I know I'm sorry for you. I hope you have a better day tomorrow. (laughs) That's literally the way that I deal with it. You just you just kind of get used to them. Um, But yeah, definitely at the beginning, they were, you know, sometimes tough. You'd think about them a lot. But the more I looked at all the other comments, I was like, yeah, I, I don't need to be too concerned. So it's almost as if you're taking that negative energy
0: and turning it into something positive and using that as a fuel for growth for
1: yourself. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to do it. Like it's, it's, it's looking at the situation and saying, oh, okay, I could dwell on this and be negative about it. Or I can, you know, look for any feedback I can get. Cause sometimes these comments are valid. Maybe I did make a mistake or maybe really the way they're saying it might not be the nicest, but it's something I should consider. Um, and may, And sometimes it's just not right. So just looking at them and being like, you know, I'm totally fine with who I am, what I'm doing. I don't need validation from anyone. And you know, if that's his thought, that's his thought. I appreciate the feedback. Right. And looking back to when you
0: first started, what would you say kind of was the biggest mistake that you've made in your YouTube career?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, That would probably be trying to reach into topics that I wasn't 100% familiar with. Um, Trying to do something just because I got asked to do it a ton of times or because I really wanted to teach it and kind of maybe rushing a tutorial or rushing through something that I didn't fully understand. Uh, And I have a few videos that I've privated on YouTube personally, because I look back at them and I say, you know what? I didn't really understand what I was doing in this one. It was just getting a tutorial out to get a tutorial out. And I don't want those like lower quality things where, you know, I might not be fully a hundred percent comfortable with them. Uh, And there's a few videos that a hundred percent were like that. And I have some, you know, I make that mistake often. It it just happens. Sometimes you don't understand until you look back at the video a few days later that, Hey, you know, this topic, I really didn't have that full a hundred percent complete understanding. So yeah, probably just making sure that I was a hundred percent you know, confident in what I was doing before I just threw it up. That would probably be biggest mistake, I guess. And then in terms of another one, working with some kind of low tier brands that weren't really like complimenting the channel very much back, like in the old day, you kind of hungry for money. You know, you've done y- years of work. You've made like 200 bucks. Some guy offers you a hundred dollars to mention his like crappy, you know, VPN service or something. And you just do it for the hundred bucks. I wish I hadn't done those ones just because a hundred bucks back then seemed like a lot. Now it's very, it's not really worth it. It's not even, you know, worth mentioning. And I would have just rather keep like kind of the reputation than ruin it for, you know, just some cheap ad, right. essentially, but that didn't happen very often, but just, you know, that was a mistake. Definitely.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. Making sure that you don't dilute the value of your brand, um, even from the very beginning.
1: Yeah. Well, I just, just, it was hard back then. Right. Cause you're not, I'm not even thinking about branding. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to be in a year and a year and a half. I just look in the current moment and maybe just not looking forward enough and not thinking about where I'm going to be in a few months. And if this decision I'm going to be happy with when I'm, you know, further along, essentially. Okay. Now I'm going to hit you
0: with a hard question. Where do you see your channel going in like the next
1: five years or so? Oh, that's a good question. Five years is five years is a long time. You know, I don't, for all I know, YouTube might not even be around in five years. There's so much uncertainty. I have no idea what's going to go on. Um, five years. I mean, I would imagine it's going to be just based on growth and what's kind of on YouTube right now. One of the largest resources for learning to code, especially in Python. When we get to that point, um, I don't know how, you know, involved I'm going to be with the channel in five years. I don't know if maybe I'll have other people on the channel, you know, I don't know where the business is going to go because that is kind of the answer to what I'm going to be in five years. Um, but I definitely see it still being around and still being an active thing and hopefully just one of the greatest resources online to learn to code with You know, someone who's not just a professor <laughs> and 65 years old and someone who's young and, and more relatable. Because I think that for me is probably the biggest asset is that I'm someone who's actually learning along with you, um, not just kind of regurgitating stuff I learned about, about 40 years ago. So.
0: And I also think that especially with tech channels, you know, it's a genius strategy because you're building your portfolio for potential employers, provided you wanted to go that route. And you're also monetizing your content at the same time.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It just And it really is just helping people out too, right? Like the amount of people I've like, there's people I've met in real life, but just randomly I go to a store and they literally recognize me as tech with Tim and they'll be like, yo, thanks for the video. Like, I really appreciate that. And like that alone is just like such a positive thing to have in your life to know that like every day, genuinely you're helping like tens of thousands of people get into a field that has so much opportunity and that not many people are exposed to or have access to. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the thing. And obviously the money's great. The business is great, but that's not why I started it. And that's not, you know, why I'm going to continue doing it. So. Yeah. I think there's a really good takeaway there too,
0: of how, when you find something that you really like to do and are able to provide value. Um, you know, money will come as a byproduct of that instead of just chasing the money itself. So, if you could give one piece of advice to YouTubers just starting out, um what would that one piece of advice be? Um,
1: I would say it's really important to be goal-oriented and and self-aware. YouTube and social media is a platform where if you're not comfortable with who you are, you're just going to get ripped to shreds because you're going to listen to everyone else. Right. And it's really hard when you're someone who's maybe, and you know, no offense to anyone who is, but if you're maybe more insecure, you're someone who's just not confident with your skills or doesn't know what you want to do. And other people's opinions are going to affect you a lot. And when you're just starting out, you're not going to know what you're doing. You're going to be figuring out along the way. You're going to make a ton of mistakes and people are going to point those mistakes out. And if you're not willing to accept that, or you don't know why you're doing this channel or what, your kind of end goal is, you're going to have a really hard time getting through. So I would say, set yourself a goal and remind yourself every single day why you're doing what you're doing. And if you don't have a good answer to that, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. But that's really what I've done with almost everything I've done in my life. I've said, hey, you know, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to accomplish. Here's why. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says, because that is the reason I'm doing it. So that would just be like a big piece of advice. And you can apply that to anything. But I think just being self-aware, understanding why you're doing it, what you're doing, and you know, kind of what you're good at and playing to those strengths is really important, especially on a platform where people can criticize the heck out of you every single day. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Tim. I think there's a lot of valuable
0: information here for content creators that are looking to kickstart their content creation journey.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dylan. And, you know, I'm always happy to do these podcasts. Uh, if you guys have another season or something, let me know. Happy to come on again. If you want to stay up to date with the latest content from Tim Rasika,
0: be sure to check out his YouTube channel, Tech with Tim.